0: I don't know what it is about apologetics in today's post truth culture church, but sometimes I think people get a spiritual rash whenever somebody mentions it, or they get a little bit scared because they think it's too deep. Well, today on the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lindbergh, we're going to get a biblical look at apologetics. And in our culture today, a post truth culture, we're going to talk about apologetics from the perspective of pre evangelism and why apologetics cannot be ignored. So join us on the Let's Get Real podcast and talk about this whole issue of why apologetics cannot be ignored. listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lindbergh. Thank you for tuning in this week. And I want to let you know that this week has been a very cool week as far as ministry-wise. We had just come off the heels of enjoying the first virtual uh, National Christian Apologetics Conference sponsored by SES. And it was a very, very interesting experience. It was a very interesting experience for them. And I want to thank Adam Tucker for his diligence for putting it all together as far as the good folks at SES as well. We're friends of SES, and if you're looking for a good college where you can learn to defend your faith and share the gospel... SES, Southern Evangelical Seminary, is the place to be. They have an online academy. They have a Bible college now. They also have bachelor's degrees as well as advanced degrees, master's, and doctoral degrees if that's what you're looking to do. So I want to recommend that right out of the gate because I'll tell you, they really launched out and doing something this whole week, starting Monday, and it ended yesterday with about three or four plenaries and one breakout session. And people got to pick breakout sessions, but... Before I get off track here, I want to let you know that after thinking about, you know, we talked about anti-intellectualism a few weeks ago, and we'd spent a few weeks on that. And we also spent a a show on uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. And Please let us know. Uh, you can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com and let us know what you think about those shows and let us know if you do have any questions. We always welcome your feedback. Also, if you go to our blog, Apologetics.com and you wish to subscribe, we'll, we're going to start sending out newsletters. I sent out my first newsletter yesterday just thanking people for subscribing and just sharing something, sharing our heart as the whole pulse of this ministry. And, you know, we've been really evaluating where we are going as far as as a result of COVID. Yesterday, I got a uh, a instant message from somebody asking if my wife and I, my wife Kathy and I, were also doing any teaching on apologetics. So right now, Kathy and I and my daughter Christine are actually going and thinking about ways maybe to do something, maybe on Facebook. We haven't really started meeting together And my good friend Charles Irwin uh, and and his wife Debbie, they were hosting uh, a while back, and then all of a sudden the COVID came out, and well, of course, (laughs) here we are. But what I want to do today is I want to deal with the whole subject of apologetics. And you know I used a a term. And I got this term from a good friend, Dr. Richard Giao at Southern Evangelical Seminary, because whenever people go sideways about a deep issue, it seems like they get a, a spiritual rash because it's something that they seem to be afraid of. It's sometimes it's irritating like a rash is. It's like, you know, they just don't really understand it. And you know, I had somebody this past week uh, at church thinking that apologetics is like a hobby, and it's far from that for our family as concerned. Apologetics should be a discipline for how you are able to answer those who are asking you, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, for the reason for the hope that you have. And and we do this with gentleness and respect. And folks, if you say that you have gone out and shared your faith and you haven't found yourself in an evangelistic, uh, pre-evangelistic context, if you haven't put yourself in a situation where you have had a conversation with somebody and they start asking you questions, chances are you're not doing evangelism correctly in our post-Christian age. You know, sometimes people think, well, you know, just give them the gospel. And I've done a show in the past on how, why the passage in Isaiah 55, 11 is not for New Testament Christians today. And that's the one that talks about, you know, God's word will not return void. Folks, that is not something that evangelical believers need to be applying. Now, we do know that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And we do know that it is God's word. And yes, it is profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuke. Uh, so that the man and lady of God will be thoroughly furnished for every good work. But, folks, we need to learn how to apply Scripture in its context, in its historical context. And don't just make it say what you want it to say if it's out of it, you're ripping it out of its historical context. I'm going to do another show on that a little bit later. But what I want to do, and it seems like I'm chasing rabbits right out of the gate, but that's okay. We're going to talk about biblical apologetics. We're going to get a biblical look at apologetics, and because it is biblical, I want to, first off, define what we mean by apologetics, and then get into a little bit of background about why Peter wrote what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, and basically the letter of 1 Peter, and And then get into the fact of why it is a necessary task for us today. Now, let me just tell you what apologetics is all about. First off, someone once said that the trouble with most theologians is they go down deeper and stay down longer and come up murkier than anyone else I know. Now, Apologetics is not about injecting a dose of confusion to the Christian gospel to try and make it sound more profound. In fact, apologetics is, is about communicating the profundity of the gospel so that it removes any confusion so that people can see Jesus clearer and, and unmuddy the waters so that they can really understand what biblical historical Christianity is all about. Now, apologetics in its primary sense is really not just about discipleship, about, some people think it's about arguing somebody into the kingdom of heaven. But really, it's about evangelism. If you really look at the context of where apologetics is, in, in any type of apologetic that is done in the Bible, it is always pointing people to the one true God, or the reason why Christianity is true, or who Jesus is, or why you should believe, or one should believe that Christianity is the viable worldview. Now, Paul uses this word apologia, which is what where this word comes from. When we talk about apologetics in the primary sense, it's really about evangelism. And also, the word apologetics comes from a Greek word, apologia, which literally means to give a reasoned or rational defense for why you believe. Now, it's not a militaristic term. It's not about cutting off a person's nose and then giving them the roast to smell. It's not about going and crushing somebody in a discussion to go and show, ha I'm smarter than you. It is not about that at all. The goal of apologetics is evangelism, and I'm going to bring in this whole thing on discipleship in another week or so so we can talk about the whole idea of apologetics and why I believe that it should be right in the main DNA of a church, particularly as the pastor, the job description of the pastor is found in Ephesians 4.12. It talks about equipping the body for the work of ministry. Okay, so we should be injecting ourselves into the culture, being salt and light in, in the context of wherever God has placed us. And the apologetics can help you do that. Now, when Paul uses this to describe his own ministry in Philippians 1:7, he states that he is appointed for the defense, the apologia, and the confirmation of the gospel. In First Peter, there is a command and is given that we should always be prepared to give an answer or reason for the hope that we have, with gentleness and respect. And now, both for the apostles. Paul and Peter, they were clearly thinking evangelism in those contexts. And if we look at the context and the setting in which the letters are penned, we can see first off, 1 Peter is penned to a persecuted church. Now, when he says, But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect, and do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Now, the, this passionate letter is to the wider church, which is which was really under persecution. And there were believers that were suffering under the Roman rule of the Caesars. And folks, if you don't think that the church is going to be going through a difficult time, even with the current administration, with the, all the things about Black Lives Matter, Antifa, B, you know, and all these other groups, we better wake up. Because there's going to come a day when America, at her tipping point right now, it's going to get interesting for the church. It already is out in California with folks like Jack Hibbs, who's pastor at Chino Hills, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and, and then also Johnny MacArthur. You know, California, L.A. County has gone and told them they can't meet, but they're meeting anyway because we believe the church is essential, and we too believe that the church is essential. So every chapter of 1 of Peter contains instruction as to how we should live and the attitude that we should adopt when confronted with a question about our faith. In the midst of all of this instru- instruction, though, there comes a clear command. He might remind you of Boy Scout times. Be prepared. We need to be prepared no matter where we are. And be prepared is given to the, it's about giving the apologetic hope for that, the reason for the hope that you have, with gentleness and respect. Now, what then can we learn about this brief text about apologetics? Well, first and foremost, number one, we see the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, in that phrase, set apart Christ, make him holy, set apart Jesus Christ as holy, sanctify Christ, as some translations say. we we'll talk about the term of the heart. Now, folks, this does not refer to the muscle beating in our chest cavity, pushing blood throughout our body. This is often confused by preachers invoking the need for inviting Jesus into our hearts. If you, want to have, if you want any answers as far as what I believe about that, I'll be more than happy to tell you. Again, this does not mean that we are inviting him into our uh, physiological ticker. What it does say, though, in this context, it refers to the seat of our emotions and our reasoning vis-a-vis our thoughts our intentions, our emotions, our mind, all those things are part of our soulishness, and every part of us needs to be under the authority of Jesus Christ. I preached a text back last year in July, where romans twelve one and two says, "I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, present your bodies a living sacrifice, whole and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or worship, and do not be conformed." To this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might be able to prove what the will of God is—that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, number two, James uh, tells us about the double-minded man in James chapter one verse eight, and this is someone who is trying to look into different, in two different directions. He is caught between two opinions and has not made a commitment either way. In contrast, the one who asks in faith is pretty is pretty stable, and his prayers. For wisdom are effective. He has been persuaded by the Holy Spirit and has been put his trust into that which is truthful, which is the gospel message. Number three, we should speak in the context of holiness. You know, our attitude, our actions and how we treat other people, uh, not just outside of the church, but folks inside of the church. I could talk to you about the cancel culture outside of the church, but I could also talk to you about the cancel culture inside the church. I put a very interesting note on my Facebook wall if you want to go. If you're a friend of mine, you can go back a few days and you can see that. But if folks, in fact, the entire context of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-17 through reflects this attitude that even when we are faced with persecution, evil is not to be repaid with evil. The reason for persecution is not because Christians are not obeying God's commands. It is because they are obeying God's commands. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 is saying that because our lives and our attitudes are different from the secular city, we, due to living in obedience to God's commands, people should and will be asking questions as to why we believe and behave the way that we do. And we should, therefore, be prepared to give a reason, a, a response, an apologetic because of the quality of our lives. Number four, the, the letter of First Peter is addressed to the church. Despite the fact that there are folks who are trained in apologetics, and folks, I'm trained in apologetics, but I don't take this as an elite exercise that it's only for a few people. In fact, I take the opposite perspective. Apologetics is for the church now when we talk about this first Peter is not directed at, for a handful of carefully academic trained well-trained philosophy special mind uh, philosophically minded specialists the command to give an apologetic is one that is directed to every member of the body of Christ no one, who is a Christian, can excuse themselves from this command. Now, when we talk about evangelism, let me clarify something here and what is meant by evangelism. There is a difference between the process of evangelism and the gift of the evangelist. Now, some people will say, you know, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm going to speak to that right here. Many Christians avoid doing evangelism because they say that they don't have that gift. Now, what is the difference? An evangelist is someone who has the gift of precipitating a decision in someone's life concerning their standing before Christ. Not everyone has this gift, but as Christians, we are all to be involved in the process of evangelism. In other words, asking someone to church, asking someone about their heaven. If there's a heaven, what does it take for a person to get there? What do you mean by being good, you know, it's questions like that that probe the heart and the mind of the person. Folks, there is a difference between the the precipitating of a decision and the process of evangelism. It is precisely in that process that apologetics does play a role. It is not a question of whether or not we engage in apologetics or not, but what kind of apologetic we give when the opportunity comes. And, folks, you don't have to be trained in philosophy. You don't have to be trained in theology. It would be good. All you need to do is be close to the Lord. Be in the Word. Study the Word. Have a devotional life. And, folks, the Holy Spirit will work in and through you. Number five, we need to be prepared. And with the paradigm shifts in our culture, we just had one with all the things that have been going on with the tech, with the coronavirus and all the things with George Floyd being killed and by uh, rogue police. And and of course, that stirred up Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all this other stuff that's going on in our culture. We need to be prepared. There was a tectonic shift when Darwin's book came out in 1835. There was another tectonic shift with the time of the sexual revolution. There might have been one in between there. There was a tectonic shift even with 9-11 in 2001, where rogue atheists and pop atheists were going and writing books, and kids were going on the Internet and listening to all their garbage. Folks, we're going to go through another one. I guarantee you there will be another tectonic shift in the not-too-distant future. It'll either be with an administrative change or it'll be with a change that will happen after the election. Because I really believe that maybe some things could ramp up. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I as Christians will not be able to share our faith. But people are going to go and look at the church. And they're going to look at the church in many different ways, and I'm not going to cover all that today. But folks, we definitely need to be prepared. That word translated prepared or always being ready has the root in the idea of being physically fit. Now, opportunities to share our faith should not be lost because we haven't taken the time to think through what and why you and I believe. But at the same time, we can be trained and be prepared in how we should respond. We need to stop thinking like children, like being infants in regard to eat. We need to be like adults in our thinking. Number six, we must give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have. Peter is very clear, believing that Christ died so that we might be saved. Folks, that's not a superstition. Around, around resurrection time, around Easter time, for those of you who use that, that, that title, I have a flyer that I give as I give our church that goes as a bulletin insert. And I've written that on why the resurrection is true because I came to faith investigating the resurrection over 40 years ago. Instead, there should be a reason for the hope that you and I have. Let me say this. There is a logic behind the gospel. Some people might get a rash with that one. Word logic. Oh, no, you know. Um, There are reasons that can be communicated and explained concerning the atonement, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, even reasons for why we believe in the Trinity. You know, now that's, that's a whole subject right there. But all that said, we must be ready to give an explanation, a defense of why the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and why we have committed our lives to Jesus Christ. You can give an experiential answer. You can talk about a biblical answer with the fact that Jesus died for a reason. He died to shed his blood for our sins, but hallelujah and thank God and praise God, amen, that he rose three days later. Let me move to the seventh one and the eighth one so that we can move on to the crux of why it's necessary. With the Lordship of Christ in our own lives is the starting point in giving an apologetic. Any apologia must therefore lead to the flow from the cross, to the cross. It, it can either flow from the cross, it can either flow to the cross. And since apologetics is the handmaiden for evangelism, it should be a supernatural goal for us to point people to the cross and the resurrection to provide their hope. It is also the cross and the resurrection that gives you and I no other reason for our confidence. However, at the same time, we must recognize that there are some people who have no intention on believing what you and I believe. And They might have some legitimate reasons. They might have a lot of illegitimate reasons. But that all of those need to be dealt with. I could share with you somebody I, I work with right now who has really gone through a difficult time in their lives. They've experienced some things in their lives that have caused a lot of hurt. And we have a lot of people like that today. What we need to do is we need to listen to where they are and be able to minister to them And talk about where they are. Now, we're not going to be a psychologist or anything like that. But what we're going to do is we're going to listen to what they have to say. In our attitude, where Peter says, with gentleness and respect, number eight, that's of great importance. You know, we don't have to be jerks when it comes to going and sharing an apologetic. What we need to do is do it winsomely and ask questions and be willing a listen now when I say that apologetics needs is needed in our culture and that it cannot be ignored you know I was in sheets which is a local store one day and I ended up seeing this guy with a t-shirt on that said church on the back and I thought well you know the it was kind of the letters were kind of faded, and I was thinking that it said Epic Church, but it was actually a country singer by the name of Eric Church. And boy, would I have egg in my face! But the conversation started by my asking the young man if he went to church, thinking that that was the church he was going to. <laughs> he corrected me and told me that the what the church was uh, what the what the shirt for Eric Church was all about, and he said that he didn't go to church. And did not care about whether or not God existed. When I asked him why, he told me that he never gave it much thought, and either to either one of them, and walked off with his sandwich and his drink. Now, my point for sharing this: this is something that even happens to those of us who have been engaging in in reaching out to people. You know, it happens to everybody. You know, you might get excited about something happening where you go and you see something that triggers a conversation or maybe even a question where you can talk about something that maybe something somebody is wearing and then move it into a spiritual conversation. That's how we do it. And, but my point in sharing with you about this is this. There is a potential for pre-evangelistic conversation that not many believers would be prepared to engage in. And when I use the term pre-evangelism, I'm referring to apologetics because when we talked about apologetics earlier in our show today, when you talk about it from the perspective of evangelism, you're actually talking about it from a pre-evangelism perspective. Now, when I talk about pre-evangelism, I'm referring to apologetics. And I'm also saying that handing this young man a tract, like Four Spiritual Laws or Got Life Dark, for that matter, would not have worked in this situation. Because what would happen is if he never gave it much thought, he never even considered believing in God or all that other good stuff, and the conversation really was not going to go anywhere. The only thing you and I can do is pray. But many pastors do not pay attention to the need for apologetics in their churches. And if they did, it would be doing a video and doing a workbook, filling out blanks on like or filling out a worksheet. But little preparation with role-playing and practicing Before they go out into our post truth culture. Now, what does apologetics do for the church and for believers? Let me just share with you four things as we move through our show. We're going to probably go a little over 30 minutes, but that's okay. This is a very important subject today. What does it do? Let me share four things. I am sure there will be more when we talk about pre-evangelism vis-a-vis apologetics that will benefit the church and the pastors and the, and their church members. Number one, apologetics helps believers better know their faith and equips them to share their faith more effectively. You know, why do you believe in Jesus? Why, does, why do you believe the Bible? How do we know that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Where is meaning and purpose found? What is the meaning and purpose of life? Does God exist? Folks, these are questions— that you can work a survey and be able to go and say, hey, you know, I was. let's talk about this, you know, and talk about, you know, what did Jesus really rise from the dead? What do you think? You know, Jesus was a historical figure. What do you think about that? You know, ask somebody that. Why? Because what you're doing is you're ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. That's 1 Peter 3.15. 7 to 17? You know, we will never find ourselves in a conversation with somebody who is skeptical to the Christian faith. You know, when we do find ourselves in a conversation who is skeptical, by working through the why of the Christian faith, you and I will be able and ready to converse with the person in hopes to clear the bushes so that they can get a clear view of who Jesus is. Number two, apologetics helps believers in answering people's real questions that hinder them from accepting the gospel. Not everyone in church, in a church service, believes the same way as their pastor. Not everyone in church, in the church pews or the chairs, believes in the same way as the other sheep that are sitting in other pews. In fact, there may be some who doubt that what the pastor is preaching. There may be others who have a question about the Christian faith, but they are too afraid to ask someone who may be a stronger believer. Now, several months ago, I was involved with a conversation with a person who had the questions about Jesus's existence because they watched this movie online called the Zeitgeist movie. This movie attempts, and they do so with shoddy arguments to prove that Jesus never existed or that he was basically a copycat messiah from pagan myths. This movie ensnared the mind of this man, and he was asking me questions about the movie and if I had a chance to see it. But, you know, God opened up a door where I had a chance to share with him about the real Jesus and his historical existence. Folks, the Internet is a dangerous playground in some neighborhoods, and the sheep might run into some slick argument written by a skeptic or a video pontificating a skeptic's reasons why they don't believe what they they don't believe in Christ folks we don't just do apologetics on the internet we don't just do apologetics in a podcast that you're listening to today we do apologetics in life because folks we are commanded by Jesus to love the Lord our God with our heart and our soul and our mind and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves Jesus, they will know that you are my disciples for your love for one another. And I'm sharing these things because as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to ratchet up fellowship of the mind and love God with our heart and soul and our mind and be able to think along with people, but also be able to think along with each other, equipping each other as iron sharpens iron. Number three, I'm digressing here. Apologetics also helps believers gain influence in the public square and provide an open door for them to become a public influence through education, the media, and the arts. Apologists are definitely needed in the church today. Just like the early church, there are times there was a need to help prevent false teachings and apostasy in the church. And folks, we got it in the church today with the New Apostolic Reformation, contemplative prayer, prosperity, gospel preachers, and other, other bad juju that's, that's creeping and slithering around the altar of God. Things like centering and contemplative prayer which I just mentioned. And, you know, I mentioned those other movements and also the newest one is progressive Christianity which denies the authority of Scripture, says that Jesus is uh, crucifixion was nothing more than cosmic child abuse and that he, Jesus was not the only way to heaven. That's prog- what progressive Christianity is saying. Those are three out of four or five or six that I, I'll, I'll probably do a show, and hopefully I might try and see if I have the technology to do an interview with somebody who is much more authoritative than us on it. But folks, this heresy flying around. And folks, there are people that are going and you know, they look like sheep. They might act like sheep, but their theology may be off. And if they're in a teaching position where they have errant doctrine, they might be poisoning the wells, if you will, in the minds of whoever it is that they're teaching. So we need to be very, 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 very careful. Number four, as we get ready to wrap our show up, apologetics is definitely needed because of the false claims coming from the cults. And the world religions that are around us. Islam is gaining a foothold. And I also, I also taught world religions at the seminary level and at the bachelor's level. But, you know, when you deal with people even just coming knocking at your door, like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, and, or if you run into somebody at the coffee shop who might be a Muslim, a Hindu, or a Buddhist. And, you know, they, you know those religions have been around a long time. And many people have understanding of what those religions are. Those who embrace them have understandings of their religion. If you get a little bit of some information about what one of these religions believes, like say you run into somebody who's a Hindu, ask us a question. We'd love to help you. But folks, when you deal with other things like things that are attacking the truth, Like the Enneagram, like yoga in the Christian church, which are basically Hindu teachings trying to be westernized as exercise and mind health. Yoga is an inseparable from Hindu pantheistic worldview. Because of various things, I won't get into that because of time. Word faith teaching is based on a modernized form of Gnosticism, which is basically Gnostic, meaning the word knowledge. And of course, there's higher knowledge or greater knowledge than what not what is available to everybody else. Let me wrap this up. The Christian who is involved in apologetics can also reach out to the culture. And not just the cults, it will help you become a stronger believer, a confident believer. Because I'm of the persuasion, number one, it was Socrates that said that the unexamined life is a life not worth beliv- not worth living. I say the unexamined faith is a faith not worth believing. So, folks, are you examining your faith? Are you examining why you believe what you believe? Because again, the Christian involved in apologetics can also reach out to the culture, and, and, as well as the cults. And apologetics has a missiological arm reaching into the culture to respond to the humanistic ideologies of our day and in turn encourage believers to know and understand the times in which we are living to encourage believers in what we ought to do, just like the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. The sons of Issachar were men who understood the times with the knowledge of what Israel should do. Well, shouldn't you and I as believers understand the times in which we live and then learn from the Word, and from incorporating the spiritual discipline of apologetics and incorporating our apologetics into a pre-evangelism so that you and I will know then how you and I should live in our post-truth culture. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. If you have any questions, email us at Apologetics at yahoo.com. Let us know what you think about our show. Let us know and share this with others. Share if you know you have somebody in the church that needs encouragement. We're here for them. Let them know that you listen to us. Let them know that you subscribe. Encourage them to subscribe as well because we are interested in equipping you. We're interested because, folks, we live in a dire day. And as part of our, uh, our gift to you, we want to equip you to help you engage, to help you become a more effective believer in reaching those in your particular concentric circle of concern. And now, what I mean by that is those people who are near and dear to you. People are looking for hope in a, con- in a culture today that is canceling people out and causing people to look for hope. We need to understand the definitions of love. The fact that there are more types, definitions of love. You've got parental love, romantic love, brotherly love, and unconditional love. And I'll do a show on that later on down the road. But if you do have any questions on that, please email us. We'd love to get that information to you immediately so that you can go and take that and use that for the glory of God. So thank you for listening to us this this afternoon. Those of you who will get this, you'll get this in your box, in your notifications probably tomorrow. I will get this online today. And until next week, as you go out, as you engage your culture, as you live among the people out there, shed the love of Jesus and let them know that Jesus loves them. And when they come back with an answer, why does Jesus love me? You're off and running. But as you go, go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless.